Hello, Mill Creekers, and welcome to another Mill Creek podcast. So glad you can be with us today. And I think you're really going to want to um, listen to this one because it's of high interest to just about everybody. We're going to be talking about COVID precautions that we've been taking for quite a while now in Sunday services. When we can start removing some of those and what goes into the decision and what it will look like. And we have the right two guys with us today to talk about that. We have Dr. Ralph Richardson, who spent his entire life in medicine. He is also co-chairman of the Elder Board and chairman of our COVID task force. And then we have Troy Richardson, Ralph Richardson's son, who is a biostatistician with a master's in public health. So he pretty much knows what he's talking about when we're talking about um, statistics and health and data. So let me ask you guys a question just to start out. Uh, I've got my calendar open. Tell me, what is the Sunday that we're gonna remove masks? Oh, we don't know. Uh, okay. But we're trying to get to that point as fast as we possibly can. Yeah. Thanks, Ralph. Troy, do you know? Do you have a date? Yeah, I, no, I, I don't know. Um, I think that <laughs> depends on a couple of things. I think it depends on um, you know, community spread of, of the disease and when we feel like um, numbers are, are low enough that that's worth the risk. We're always dealing with some sort of risk here, but I think um, from a church leadership perspective, we're trying to manage that risk as best as we know how. Um, so I think, um, you know, without setting a date, um, it would be kind of looking around at our community and seeing when that, that spread has um, fallen uh, to a certain degree. Um, and then just, uh, even though we don't count things um, in our own congregation, uh, just recognizing when there's not a whole bunch of a whole long list of families on our prayer chain um, huh. within our own congregation, uh, looking for prayer for for you know people in their family who are are, are sick. Um, so yeah, I, it it is a moving target. Um, there's certainly lots of things that are uncertain, um, but I think as as fast as reasonably possible is probably the, my best answer to that. Yeah, thanks. There's. Um... I know that some of the church leadership has been talking a little bit about maybe late March, April, after the normal flu cold season is over, that that might be realistic at current trends. Does, does that seem realistic with the, oh, with the trends that you guys are seeing now? I think there's a, a possibility of that. Uh, we certainly are pleased that in the greater Kansas City community that we're seeing a decrease in the number of uh, seven-day rolling average uh, cases. Um, you may recall way back last summer uh, when we were down around 100 cases per day, and we aren't far uh, above that right now as we do this recording. Uh, we hope that it will continue that trend, and uh, if that is the case, uh, we may well, by the end of March, early April, be at a point that we uh, are at that same level of infectivity that we were back uh, last summer, uh, which wasn't nearly as great as it has been through the cold season. Yeah. Yeah, I think to add on to that, I think, you know, so there's a couple unknowns, too, that the public health professionals, at least, will want to look at. Um, and that includes things like the different variants from 
from UK um, or from South America um, to see how those influence case counts. The good news is that we think we can pick those up on the current tests. So if we're watching the current numbers, we should be able to see any sort of increase due to those variants. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of things in play here in terms of, um, you know, what's actually going to drive those case counts. And, and some of that, a lot of that is the vaccination efforts. Um, and hopefully people will be getting their vaccines as, as, as scheduled and, and people who are particularly at risk um, will help kind of offset or mitigate some of those potentials to, uh, to see increases later, you know, around spring break or something like that. Um, but yeah, there's just, there's a lot of unknowns. And I think that's probably what has a lot of public health professionals um, less certain than they normally would be if we were just dealing with, with what we were dealing with last summer. Yeah. And, and when you're talking about variants, you're talking about COVID mutations that seem to be a little bit more contagious or maybe more than a little bit contagious than what we have had. Yeah. So um, as, as with any virus, um, there will be small mutations on the outer membranes of, of some of these cells without getting into too much detail that make them more or less susceptible to our body's um, immune defenses. And there are three right now that are in particular that, that seem to be maybe just a little bit less susceptible um, compared to some of the variants that, that were, were floating around this past summer. Um, and, and one of them in particular um, seems to be pretty resistant to our body's defenses. Thankfully, that's probably the one that's, that's moving slowest right now throughout the world. Um, but those are just types of things, yeah, different types of mutations that, that people are watching to make sure that, um, you know, our current vaccines are effective against some of the spreads of those as well. And some of the good news, I think, that has come out of uh, this very, very difficult pandemic is that our scientists have learned a lot about, uh, in a very short period of time, about this virus and uh, learning how it's behaving and it's uh, uh, unprecedented that we could get uh, vaccines into the public play uh, as quickly as we have. Um, this is not surprising though to those scientists. Uh, my background is, uh, I'm, I'm a veterinarian, but I worked in the world of one health where it was the interface of the environment, uh, animals and human health. And uh, this transition of viruses, uh, in this case, probably uh, uh, from an animal to humans originally uh, back early in 2020 uh, is what happened to allow it to grow in humans. It, it had a, 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 a mutation and so, uh, these uh, types of organisms are known to mutate and, and our scientists uh, are staying on top of that as rapidly and as well as I think is humanly possible. Okay. Yeah, thanks, uh, Dr. Ralph. I was, what it sounds like is we're looking at uh, unknowns that include variants, vaccination rates, um, people willing to be vaccinated, um, when we do start getting to a place where we're really comfortable on Sunday mornings, do you see us removing our precautions in steps perhaps rather than all at once? Um, I do, uh, I think it will be uh, initially, well, I can back up and say we've already gotten to the point where 
We allow singing with masks in both services. Uh, we do know that uh, singing, uh, yelling, forceful uh, noise coming from a person uh, coming out of their lungs has a greater uh, spread. It'll spread at a greater distance than a person only talking. So uh, we do believe that we've gotten to the point that with the uh, distancing between groups or families of people uh, or individuals and with masks, we're comfortable with that first step. I think that we will uh, secondly uh, depend still on that social distancing. That's very, very important. And masks when we're moving about the church. So as we come in, as we see people uh, in the foyer, as we move to our seats, I think we'll see masks still present. But then I think uh, if that number of uh, cases in the community is, is continuing to drop, we'll probably then drop our masks for uh, the, the church service time. Uh, perhaps first for singing uh, still towards the end of the service or uh, possibly even throughout the service uh, while we're seated. So those sorts of steps would be the kind of things that are being considered. Troy, do you have some additional things that you want to add to that? Sure. I'll say as the, as the closet or as the, as the church introvert and biostatistician, I hope social distancing never goes away. Right. Um, <laughs> um, no, I just to echo um, what Ralph was saying, I think, um, you know, these are like layers of Swiss cheese. These, these, there's no silver bullet or, or um, you know, kind of magic, um, precaution that we're taking right now that, that, that necessarily makes one stand out above the other. It's not just the social distancing or it's not just the masking or it's not just washing our hands or it's not just staying home when we're sick. It's the, the um, you know, the kind of the sum of all of those things. Uh, I know we've talked about it before, um, but it's, it's like layers of Swiss cheese so that when, when one layer gives way, hopefully there's another layer in place. And just as we've learned more and more about the, the spread of, uh, and transmission um, of this disease, you know, it's kind of that multifaceted approach um, that's really done well in con controlling the spread uh, when people adhere to those guidelines. Um, so I think if you're talking about, you know, removing those guidelines, it makes sense to kind of remove one at a time and not just carte blanche, you know, remove everything at the same time. So sure, I would expect that as we talk amongst um, the task force and the elders discuss things, it would be more of a kind of a one at a time or two at a time kind of approach rather than just removing everything at once. Yeah, that makes sense. And something you just brought up about the task force and the elders, how, how will they work together to decide what steps we're gonna take and when? We've had uh, a wonderful group of people working in the task force. In fact, we even had a uh, subset of the task force uh, get together and really drill down uh, hard on what we might look as far as measurements and, and how do we uh, do a, a data-based type of a decision process. And then uh, the first of March, first part of March, we'll come back together as an entire task force uh, talking about that. And each time that we meet, we then make recommendations to the elders. And the elders have an opportunity to 
uh, discuss those recommendations to determine uh, what is the final decision made for Mill Creek as a church. Uh, it's not the task force making that decision. It's not a subset. Uh, it does come back to the elder board uh, as the group that really finally comes down to, to recommendations for our church. Yeah, and I think what's important about that is that it's the elders who are making the decision in, in conjunction with, with the staff about how things are going to be implemented. Um, I, I think, you know, for the task force, we see ourselves just kind of as a sounding board um, so that as the elders or, or staff members have questions, they might come to us and say, hey, does this make sense? Um, and as you can imagine, when you get a bunch of people on a Zoom call, I was going to say in a room, but we don't do that. Um, on a Zoom call, you've got lots of different opinions um, and kind of levels of, of risk, um, willingness to, to, right? So it's, um, it's more of a discussion amongst ourselves about what's, what's reasonable. Um, but I, I, I will say from, from every person on the task force perspective, the final decision about what our church does lies with the elders. Um, and from, from our perspective, the final decision about how things get implemented um, it's for the elders and staff. So uh, just as an example, we would never tell Ricky how to, you know, uh, the task force wouldn't like recommend to Ricky or tell Ricky how to implement certain things within a service. That's, it's kind of his, his realm of expertise. Um, and we wouldn't want to try and, and usurp that. So, um, you know, while we kind of see ourselves as, as a sounding board, um, I, I wouldn't say it's, it's we're, we're sending recommendations to the elders and to the staff um, and, and then those final decisions are made at the elder staff level. And I might comment that the task force is a, a really a good group of people to work with. We have uh, physicians on that. Uh, Troy and I are on it. Uh, we have an engineer who understands the air turnover and the airflow uh, in the room. We have several uh, staff members. We have a communication specialist that helps us understand how to um, word some of these things and, and also very, very much involved from an understanding of the what's happening in the community. So we've, we've got a setting that, uh, uh, yes, it's, it's pretty much science-based in a lot of what we recommend, but on the other hand, it is not purely scientists by any means. Uh, we have uh, at least three uh, members who have no science background, but they understand what's happening from the dynamics of the church service and the interactions of uh, Christians coming together in fellowship. And we believe that's very important, that, that the local church, the New Testament church, uh, was not uh, a set of isolated people. They came together and they, they worshiped together. There was a one another ministry. There was serving one another. Uh, there was singing, uh, there was praying, and this was done in a group, not uh, uh, totally isolated where we watch things uh, from a distance. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that's everybody's intent is that we do this um, as quickly and as safely as we can and uh, not stay online forever. Uh, well, when we do start taking steps, will we uh, tell anybody? Troy, you've been involved in some of those discussions about uh, communications. Uh, sure, I, I, I think, you know, uh, I guess we could just kind of show up and see if people notice. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but, 
um, our communication specialist in the task force assures us that's not the best way um, <laughs> to go about communicating with folks. So I think uh, in terms of just making sure that we have ample opportunity to talk um, through, you know, how we're going to communicate whatever changes are, are decided upon by the elders. Um, you know, tip, our typical modes of communication are the weekly newsletter um, and then the pulpit, the announcements on Sunday morning. And just to make sure that um, we are, are clear in our communication and people have that opportunity to hear um, about the changes and kind of ask questions. I think it was uh, the goal of, of the task force to have three newsletters and two Sunday announcements um, in time. Uh, elders typically um, meet on Wednesday nights um, and then that, that the next uh, newsletter comes out Thursday or Friday, um, right? So the idea would be that once decisions are made, we get um, the next day or the next couple day newsletter, we have that Sunday and then two more newsletters and another Sunday to be able to communicate those effectively. So yeah. um, if you're looking for that type of communication, uh, hopefully you won't miss it. It will be in either the newsletters, the weekly newsletters, um, as well as from the pulpit on Sunday morning. Good. Well, yeah, thank you for saying that. I think that what we're going to do is, um, I'm sure it's everybody's hope that nobody gets surprised by anything and that we'll keep the congregation up to date on where we are in our thinking. So um, did you guys have anything else that you wanted to mention today before we say goodbye? I might mention one other thing. Uh, we recognize that uh, there's a broad spectrum of the uh, way that people will want to re-engage. Um, there are some who have been ready to re-engage with uh, no masks, no social distancing. Let's just go at it and, and that's, uh, uh, let's trust God. And that's, a, that's in many ways a, a, a great testimony. On the other hand, uh, we don't want to uh, cause uh, uh, another brother or sister to be at risk. Uh, so there's been others that have said, well, I certainly do want to wear the masks and, and uh, the social distancing and I'll wash my hands and I'll use the disinfectant. But there's still others that are uh, fragile from their health standpoint, or they just have a great concern and, and they want to re remain online and, and uh, sequestered and, and that's fine. All of those uh, approaches are um, different, but not, not wrong. Uh, it's not saying that, that there's a right or wrong in this. We just want to love one another and do the best thing that we can uh, and make those decisions. So I do believe that even when we uh, release uh, some of the constraints that we've had, we'll still maintain the online services for those that are not ready to to re-enter in that type of a setting. So we don't want to uh, cause anyone to be without the opportunity of hearing God's word. Okay. Yeah, and as just to, to build on top of that, I think, you know, if, if people continue to want to wear masks, even as the church has, um, you know, stepped away from that as a formal policy, uh, I think it's our heart that that would be accepted and, and allowed and, and not looked down upon in any way. Um, I think, you know, a lot of these things um, are our preference at the, at the heart, our preference issues. Um, and they seem really important at a time when you're talking about people's health and uh, people's health and people's um, lives. Um, but I, I think, you know, as, as best as we can to do this in love, um, in unity, um, to support one another, 
we, we really want to look at the Bible and look at those biblical principles um, on how to do this and, and do it well um, in a way that, that, you know, for people who don't know Jesus, who don't love Jesus, uh, who are watching us from the outside would say, hey, they may be different in their, their ideas a little bit, but we could still see that they loved each other in the way that they, they made those decisions. We've uh, talked uh, uh, for decades in our family, but uh, also a setting we've used the words reference, difference, preference. And uh, reference would be, what does the Bible say? And as hard as we've looked, we have not found the instructions about what to do in the face of this COVID pandemic. So uh, we can't rely on a reference. Uh, on a difference, uh, we don't want to cause a brother to stumble. We want to make decisions that will not cause a person to go against their, their beliefs, their, their uh, uh, approach to things, and we don't want to cause a person to be fearful uh, in an environment such as church. So we may uh, say that we're going to defer to a brother or sister, and that has driven a lot of the decisions about why we're, we're probably holding on a little longer than some churches with the masks and the distancing. Uh, but we want to defer to that. And when there's not a clear reference, there's not a, a problem causing uh, uh, another person to be fearful or, or concerned, then we have that preference setting that Troy uh, mentioned. And uh, we want the, everyone then to be able to pursue that. If they uh, still want to wear that mask, we want them to be very comfortable and welcomed into Mill Creek wearing that mask and not feel that they are doing anything more or less than another brother or sister might be. Well, thanks, Dr. Alf. And Troy, that's a pretty good benediction, a, a good place to say goodbye to everyone and say thank you to you for spending part of the afternoon here with us. Happy to do it. Yeah. See you guys later. Bye now. Bye.